Come on, you gotta make that! Do you want to do something this weekend? Oh, come on, box out! Box out! Could you take the trash out later? Oh, hold on. Oh my goodness, and you're the number one seed? Could I gamble all of our money away this weekend? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Want a chip? Awkward! Well, you're pretty good. Sure you don't want it? All right, yeah, you can. Some of you are clapping because you know David and you're just like, hey, this, you know, that's, it's good to know that all those acting classes he took at OSU while he was getting his degree in agricultural economics. But they paid off, baby, paid off today. So we are, we are so glad to have you. And if you're, if you're watching online today, we're glad to have you with us as well. And we'd encourage you hey, next week to join us in person, it's always better in person. So we are launching a series, as you've already heard, and we're excited about that. So Zach mentioned the mailer. I just heard a story this week. The mailer goes out you know, to a lot of homes in our area, and it's got a picture of an elephant. And here's the conversation that somebody was reporting to me. They heard a group of people who none of them came here to grace, they were talking about the mailer, which is great, but here's what they were saying. They were saying, I don't really understand why this guy's going to be talking about elephants. <laughs> and then one of them knew enough about our church to knew that recently I had been in Thailand with a team of people, and so then they brought that in. Well, you know, I know he's been to Thailand, and so they have elephants there. You know, it's just like a mess, you know, but... Uh, no, elephant in the room, elephant in the room, in the family room is what we're talking about. What? We're going to talk about some things that, that people a lot of times don't talk about when it comes to marriage. So that's what we want to focus on. And marriage, uh, Zach was mentioning the bracket. I filled out a bracket, as more of you than will admit have filled out a bracket. And, and by the way, out of 13 on our staff, I'm number two right now. I'm going to say that because that's going to change in about five minutes. But I'm number two. And yes, I had Liberty beating Mississippi State. So just want you, if you're wondering about that, yep, called it, nailed it. So just want you to know that too. But a lot of times, marriage is like the bracket, right? It never goes exactly the way you think it's going to go. And that's what we're talking about. That's why we want to focus in on marriage, and there's a lot of bad things. Uh, people hear stuff about marriage today. You have singles who are who fear marriage because they've heard all these statistics. You know, the 50% of marriages end in divorce, which is a little outdated. It's not quite that bad, but still, it, it's alarming and and also a little misleading. And that doesn't count first-time marriages, but still, uh, alarming stats. People have decided that the way they're going to correct that is that they're going to live together before marriage. They're going to cohabitate. And, uh, and we know statistically, over and over, statistics have shown us that that actually decreases your chance for a successful marriage rather than increase those chances. And then it goes on from there. I mean, 
we have people who are in marriages and they, they just are like, hey, this, this is busted. This isn't working right. I, I feel like I don't love my spouse anymore. I feel like I've given everything that I can give. I feel like I'm kind of wrung out and I don't have anything in the tank left. And people have these feelings and it happens all the time. And then you pile on top of that, that men and women, they're, they're, we're just different. We're different. In my marriage, for example, uh, while I was in Thailand that I mentioned before, there was a windstorm here, and it knocked some of the siding off, the, off my chimney right at the top of the chimney, about six feet of siding, gone when I got back. So finally here, weeks later, I decide I'm going to replace that siding. Of course, my wife has a different view. She says, Kevin, do not replace that. Call somebody, hire somebody, and have that done. But I'm thinking, hey, I can handle this. Does this sound familiar, guys? I'm thinking, hey, I can handle this. So the first thing I do is I get an extension ladder. I, I get that all out. I run that up the side of the chimney, and I realize it only goes like halfway to where I need it to go. So I take that down. That's not working. So then I get a 40-foot extension ladder. This is higher than this ceiling. And I, and I climb up there. And I start putting this, I've already got it pre-cut, Zach's out there trying to help me, and we're up there, and I, I get it kind of in there, and I have to come down. I, I get a few, because I could only take a few up, I needed several, and I came back down to get some more. I had just done some running, which I hardly ever do earlier that day. My legs were kind of wobbly, not a great day. I'm down getting some more siding, and this 40-foot ladder blows over, and Zach's like, watch out. And that's all the warning I got, just watch out. You know, bam, it actually hangs up on the gutter. And there's actually a history of this. A few years ago, I was up on my second-story roof doing some repairs. Nobody was home, and the ladder blew down. And my wife posted a picture of me waiting for her to come home on the roof for somebody to set the ladder back up. So this is kind of a common theme in our marriage. And so then I put the ladder back up, and then my neighbor, who has like every tool known to man, he says, hey, well, I'll just get my ladder stabilizer, which I didn't even know that exists. But anyway, I did it. I'm here. It all worked. I, I got it up there, and I didn't kill myself. But we have different views of things, right? I, I'm thinking, yeah, I need to do this. My wife is much more wiser than I am, says, no, you shouldn't do it, because she, she knows my history, even though I think I can. But hey, Women feel in love, men feel disrespected, both are unhappy. What's the answer? That's what we want to talk about in this series. And really, we're saying, if we want answers, we need to turn to the one who created marriage in the first place. Because God gives us, in black and white, the principles that we need to make marriage work and to make it joyful. So in order for us to see the intense biblical wisdom that God has for us in marriage, just to launch this, just to get started, I think we need to answer three basic questions. And as we do this, I'm actually going to look at a portion of our instructions in marriage that I've never really expounded on before. I've never really done a whole talk on this before. It's something that I've always briefed over, but it seems to be the appropriate place to start this time. So three basic questions about marriage. And the first question is simply this, what is marriage? What is marriage? And, and we need to know this because whether you're married today or you're single, we all need 
a vision of marriage the way God created it to be. God, it's God's idea. He created and and that's what we want. Now, that's not to say that all single people should get married. That's God in Scripture celebrates marriage. God has a, a strong positive view on singleness as well. And so you just have to, if you can do that um, without having a physical relationship, you know, if you can abstain. And so if you can be a celibate, uh, have a celibate lifestyle, singleness is encouraged by God as well, just like marriage is celebrated. And, and by the way, here's something that people don't realize. When we get to heaven, we're not married. Did you know that? That's what Jesus said, right? And, and we forget this. A lot of people don't know this. This might, When we go to heaven as a believer, Jesus said there's no marriage in heaven. To some of that, some of you here, that's, that's news. To some of you here, that's like great news. I mean, you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but you just have to know that. But, so let's, let's dig down here. So marriage is a lifelong commitment, but it's temporary in light of eternity. So just got to know that. So what is marriage? Well, God created marriage. Marriage is God's idea. And if you're reading any uh, contemporary social history type books, they'll always say that marriage is uh, pre existed from prehistory, which just means that there's not a time in the collective conscious of human beings that marriage did not exist. Marriage has been around since the beginning, which is exactly what the Bible tells us, that, that there's not a time when marriage didn't exist as far as when man and woman were here together. And, and the Bible says what the Bible says about marriage is crucial for us today. And that all starts with Genesis 2.24, which is a very foundational verse. And actually, I'm just going to look at two verses today, and one is just repeating this verse. Genesis 2.24, and, it's, and Jesus quotes this in the New Testament. Uh, Paul quotes this, but it goes this way. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh... And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When you look at this Hebrew word, in this case for joined, actually the King James probably had a little bit better idea of that. It's cleave, you know, is the old word for it. It's to, be, it's to cling to, to cleave to. So God's idea of marriage is for one man and one woman to actively hang on to each other for a lifetime. And... We, a lot of times, and that, by the way, begins a new family when that marriage happens. Marriage has been present in every culture, in every age known to man. It's always been there. Although today we know that there's this huge push to redefine what marriage is. Redefine what human history has always understood marriage to be in every single culture. Now we're in the middle of that being redefined, which is a little freaky. So next, what is marriage? To me, along with that is, why do people get married? Understanding what marriage is, it brings us to the question, okay, marriage, why, why do people get married? And, and really, this answer is different depending on the culture that you live in. 
in traditional cultures or in ancient times that were all traditional cultures back then, marriage was for um, stability, for social status, and for security. That's why people got married, for their standing and for security. That was what's expected, so that's what you did for your family. You got married. It was, it was sort of like an exchange mentality. Like, it almost, you know, I don't want to say, it probably shouldn't sound the way I'm saying it, but it was almost like a business agreement for two people to come together. Now, in Western culture today, and by the way, that's still true in traditional societies today. That's the whole arranged marriage and everything else. Now, in Western culture, that's not the reason people get married. In Western culture, people marry for self-fulfillment. They, they marry to get their individual needs met, what, whatever they define those needs to be, and it's a, seen a, to be a self-fulfilling thing. It's chemistry, it's romance, it's individual fulfillment. So traditional cultures marry for security and prosperity. It's a social bargain where both benefit. Western cultures marry for self-fulfillment. They're in search of the one that will make sure that their needs are met. Both focus on getting their needs met. And actually, both, the Bible says both of these views about marriage is wrong. That's what we need to understand. And that brings us to the second question. All right, if, if we've answered what is marriage, then the second question is, what should marriage picture for us? What does marriage model? What should marriage remind us of? What should marriage picture? What's out there that there's a similarity or a picture with marriage? And, and here's what it is. First of all, a covenant relationship rather than a consumer relationship. I know covenant's kind of an old-fashioned word. Look at it this way. A committed relationship rather than a consumer relationship. Now, we all experience consumer relationships. Consumer relationships happen in in a free market, capitalism. That's where it happens where uh, you you go get your goods at a certain store or a certain provider, but if you find a better price for the same goods, you go to the other person, and therefore, the market always corrects itself, and people are always striving to better their products to get a bigger share of the market, so it always corrects itself. And, by the way, anytime you start manipulating that, it always brings uh, corruption every time. But anyway, that's consumer. But what's good for a market relationship is not good for a personal relationship. And what's happened, especially in the West, is that we've brought this consumer mindset into our social relationships So we have a relationship, and it goes like this. Um, I'll meet your needs if you meet my needs. And in marriage, I'll be the spouse that I should be if you're the spouse you should be. That's a consumer exchange kind of a mindset. And Scripture's saying that's not what marriage should model for us. Um, the covenant or a committed relationship is where 
See, in a consumer relationship, the individual's needs always reigns. It's always king. That's what comes first. But in a committed relationship, or a covenant relationship, in a committed relationship, the relationship comes first before individual needs. The relationship with another person is more important than my individual needs. So the language of a covenant relationship is different. A covenant or a committed relationship, it doesn't say, hey, I'll meet your needs if you meet my needs. A committed relationship says, I will meet your needs even if you fail to meet my needs. I will be the spouse I should be even if you're not the spouse that you should be. And people say, well, that doesn't sound romantic. That doesn't sound great. That doesn't sound good. It, but maybe, just maybe, I'm no, no expert on romance, but maybe commitment, lifetime commitment, is the most romantic thing. Maybe. Well, that, people say that doesn't sound very fulfilling. Well, I, I think that's wrong. There's nothing more f- fulfilling than two people in a relationship where both prioritize the other person's flourishing. I think that's the most fulfilling. Ironically, there's nothing more fulfilling than a relationship where you don't put your own fulfillment first. Ironically. Does that make sense? It's most fulfilling when you put somebody else first. So marriage is a picture of a committed relationship. Marriage also models for us the picture of the love of God that God has for us through Jesus. Now, here's where I want to go in to a couple of verses that normally get skipped over because they're right in the middle of God's instructions for husbands and wives. And there's a couple verses Actually, one verse right in the middle of that. And I'm going to pick that up in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Just going to read two verses. And one is just a repeat of what's already been said in Genesis chapter 2. It goes like this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But now this is the verse. This mystery is great... But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Now, a lot of us here have read Ephesians 5 before. How many of you have ever wondered, what's that last verse doing in there? You have these instructions about, hey, you want a a fulfilling marriage? And although these constructions can be very badly interpreted, they just mean what they say, but people mess them up. But right in the middle of this, hey, here's the instructions for marriage. You have, this, is a, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. I've, you know, what's that doing? I've wondered that. You know, what is that doing in there? It's because marriage is a picture of our relationship with God. And so you just need to know that that's how God designed marriage to be. Now, our relationship with God happens when we respond to something called the gospel. And the gospel is just a word that means good news. And the good news is what God has done for us. So here's 
here's the gospel. Here's how we have a relationship with God. A relationship with God happens when we realize that, that we are messed up, that, when we, that we have all done things wrong. And here's what we want. Here's what we want from spouses. Here's what we're searching for a lot in our lives, just as human beings. We want to find somebody who will really know us and still love us. But that's hard the way we do things because we have something called dating, right? And dating is like the opposite of that. Are you with me? You know, we, we're looking for somebody who will know us completely and still love us. And the first thing we do is we start dating, and that's where we hide all the bad things about us so the person only sees the best. It's like Facebook. You know, they only see the best stuff. Instagram on steroids, they only see the best. They only see the highlights. That's what we do. But we have this need. Well, the gospel is this. The gospel says, hey, you, it starts with bad news, you are more messed up than you ever realized. You're more messed up than you ever knew. But God still loves you more than you ever dreamed. That's the gospel. We're messed up. We violated God's standards. He created us. He told us what was right and wrong. And we all did wrong. And then we all kind of want to do our own thing. And we all want to be in charge of our own lives. And then we rebel and we get further from God. God loves us anyway. And the problem that we all have is that God says, hey, if we do wrong, God is perfectly just. And perfect justice demands that wrong be punished. There's no justice if wrong doesn't get punished. If somebody harms somebody in our family and we went to court and the judge just said, eh, I forgive you. What? You forgive them. They didn't do anything to you. We want justice for our family. God is perfectly just. God says all wrong has to be punished, which is bad news for every single one of us because we've all violated God's commands and we all deserve punishment. And the punishment for, for being, doing wrong is separation from a holy and righteous God forever. That's what we all deserve. But God knows everything about us and every fault, flaw and issue that we have, and he still loves us, so he made a way by sending his only son, Jesus, and God is actually sending himself because God exists eternally, one God in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons. Jesus comes he lives a sinless life until he's about 30 years old. Then he starts his public ministry, remains sinless, and then finally he dies at 33 years old. And that's where his own creation mocks him, spits on him, tortures him to death, and he allows it to happen in order to pay for our sins. That eternal separation from God, eternal God pays for that in a moment of time on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And then he not only, so he loves us with action, and then he invites everyone, everyone to come. It's the most inclusive religion in the world. God wants every, doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you do, he invites you to come into a relationship with him, which happens through faith in Christ. The most inclusive religion in the world, anybody can come to him. The most exclusive religion in the world, there's only one way through Jesus. There is no other way. 
And so he invites us by faith to come in. And so then if we just recognize this, what he's done for us, believe that we are messed up and we have issues, and we just call on Jesus for forgiveness based on what he did, God comes into our life and he will not leave us. Committed relationship. No matter what we do, he will not leave us. He will never leave us, never forsake us, Scripture says. He's always there, a committed relationship. That's what he offers us. He initiates it by dying at great cost. He initiates, he invites, he wants us to respond. And it's interesting as you look at Scripture, because Scripture actually begins with the wedding, Adam and Eve, and Scripture actually kind of ends with a wedding celebration, the ultimate wedding celebration. And marriage is really a picture of God's love for us. But that brings us to the third question. So the third question is, what does marriage need? Okay, so we, we got issues. We got problems. Marriage, it's like the bracket. It's not going the way we thought it was going to go. So what does marriage need? This is the elephant in the room. This is the kind of thing that we talk about at church, but people do not discuss in their family room when it comes to marriage. What does marriage need? And that's what I really want us to see. Our relationship with God, if we've responded to the gospel, and you either respond, everybody responds to the gospel. It's either yes, and you believe in Jesus with faith, Or no, no thanks, and you're rejecting God's sacrifice for you. What does marriage need? Well, marriage benefits when we have a relationship with God because that's what marriage is modeling for us. What do we need? We need a Jesus-centered admission that we all need to change. This is what every Christian has already done. You cannot become a Christian without realizing that you're messed up and that you need to change. But God loves you and accepts you and invites you, no matter who you are. But as followers, he accepts us as we are. But as soon as we come to him, he starts changing who we are. That's what God does. Because that's the loving thing to do. It's not loving to leave somebody where they are if you could help make them better. God works through his spirit to correct the flaws and the broken parts of us for our best. It's the same thing we do. We do this with our kids. Probably the best way to illustrate is, is how we treat our children. I, have, I now have four grandkids under the, you know, they're three and under. And once in a while, on Saturdays, Pam and I will watch some of the kids. Well, we were watching some of the kids a few weeks ago. And then, and it was my three-year-old granddaughter, Aria, and her little sister, Gemma. And, but she had a gymnastics thing, which a three-year-old going to gymnastics, a whole other story, but whatever. You know, that's what we were doing. So I, I take her to gymnastics class, and I'm sitting there. And I'm feeling very awkward, and then I'm watching this, which is, you know, this instructor has amazing patience, is out there, and these kids are running all over the place, and she's getting them to do things, and, and then I'm realizing some of the things that she's asking them to do, Ari has never done before, and she, she, she doesn't know how to do it, but other kids know how to do it, 
And I'm watching that, and I'm going, okay, so after we leave and we go back home after gymnastics, I'm like, hey, Aria, I start coaching her on these things. Aria, hop on one foot. I want to see it right now. Keep doing it. Now hop on the other foot because that's one of the things. You know, and whatever, I can't even remember the other things that, they, that I could tell she had never done that. So I'm coaching her up. Does that even matter? No. Does it matter if she can hop on one foot at three years old? It does not matter. But I'm doing it anyway. Why? Because I know she's not as good as she could be. She could be better. Now, way more important would be moral issues and the moral reason why that you should do the right thing. But hey, it's just this. But even that, I have this inner, I want to help her. That's the way God is with us. He doesn't leave us in our flaws. He starts helping us to change, to make us better people because that's the loving thing to do. That's what God wants for us. Jesus leads us to change. Now, the Bible has a fancy name for that. It's called sanctification. But it's just simply that once we become believers, God starts challenging different areas of our life that we could do better, that we could be closer to him. And I've experienced that huge in my life in general, but specifically my life in marriage. I would not be the, the man, the person that I am, or the pastor that I am, if I hadn't married Pam. Pam's not here today. She's sick, so we can talk about her all you want. So, but I would not, and don't tell her this, but I would not be the person that I am today, or the pastor I am today, if it wasn't for Pam. And I know some of you think, well, Kevin, you're not that great. I know. I know I'm not that great, but you don't know what I was before. I mean, I'm way, way better than I used to be. God has used Pam in my life to change me for the better, to make me a better person. That's not to say God doesn't do this on his own without Pam, but with Pam, tell me to be a better person. To help me be a better husband, to help me be a better father, a way better father, help me be a better grandfather. That's what God has done in my marriage to Pam. And that's the kind of thing that we would hope would happen in our relationships. And, he, and when you think this way, it would be almost like, because we look for different things in spouses, and a lot of times that's physical attraction, which is, that's great. But maybe in addition to that, we should be looking for someone who we see God changing them. You know, where we, we should look for somebody that we find attractive because we see what God is doing in their life. Maybe we should open our minds up a little bit to that. Now, someday, I mentioned we're not married in heaven, which we forget about that, but Jesus told, told us. So someday you're going to see the person that you were married to in heaven. If you're a believer and they're a believer, you're going to see them in heaven. And I think, thinking about it this way, that what's going to happen is we're going to run into our ex-spouse, because we're not married in heaven, and, and we're going to be like this, wow, you are now the person that I always knew you could be. Because we'll be in heaven without all of our flaws, right? 
without our sin, without all our issues that we carry around and battle and struggle with all our life. And we're going to see each other in heaven and be like, wow, I always knew you could be like this. This is what God has done in your life. I think it will be a completely different perspective. Now, we also, what marriage needs is a Jesus-centered ability to love and to serve. Because in our natural state, we don't have a lot of this. We love to get love. We serve to be served. But when we've experienced the gospel, when we've experienced a relationship with Christ, all of a sudden we see that completely differently because God has done this for us. We have something in reserve to do for others. The one effect of the gospel is it changes us. We become more other-oriented. We learn to serve each other. We learn to love each other self-sacrificially, not just to get love back. Marriage needs a God-powered ability to be selfless and to love with action and self-sacrifice, however the other person responds. That's what marriage needs. A committed relationship where, where you have reserves from your relationship with God to meet the other person's needs even when they're not meeting your needs. That's what marriage needs. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that non-believers can't have good marriages. Sometimes non-believers have good marriages. But when it's not as often as Christians do for the reasons we're talking about. But when that happens, it happens because non-believers are actually doing what God said to do, even, they, even though they don't know they're doing it. They just stumbled on it, or they saw that it was modeled by somebody else, maybe their grandparents or their parents, who very good chance were believers. And as, to the extent they model that, they benefit even if they don't realize what they're doing or why they're doing it. But it's way better to know God's intentions rather than just stumble on them. That we're intentional about our relationship to do it the way God wants us to do it. And then we also need a Jesus-centered strength. You see, having a relationship with Christ... You know, some people call that a crutch. I don't, but the point is, is that once we have Christ in our lives, we're stronger than we were before. We don't, our relationship with Jesus removes pride from our life on one end and neediness on the other end. We're not all needy anymore because Christ has given us what our soul mostly needs acceptance, true love. And Jesus makes us a person who doesn't need a lot of things after that. So, well, Kevin, what's that got to do with marriage? Everything. Because we're not always looking for what we can get out of it. And, and next week, as we look, as we get in deeper to the in specific instructions about marriage, it's tough stuff, but if you're a believer, if you've responded to the gospel, that, that good news I was talking about, it makes perfect sense. And not only does it make sense, God gives you the ability, the reserves, the knowledge, the background, the fortitude to put it into practice 
in our lives. It's like this. If you're not a believer and your spouse is your main source of meaning, happiness, and joy, well, then when they stop loving you the way you think you should be loved, your world crashes because you, you have all your hopes pinned on them, and then when your world crashes, you both start reacting to each other in a less than loving and less than respectful way, and you experience this downward spiral that destroys relationships. But spouses who know Jesus, that have a real relationship with him, will try to outserve each other, to lead in serving. If God is not the most important relationship in your life, you will tend to need someone out there who you think is worthy, you have to put them on, who you think is good, you think is worthy, who will love you for you. But then when they don't consistently express that in the way that you expect, problems. And I'm just here to tell you, romantic love cannot fulfill, it cannot fill the God-shaped hole in your soul. And people try it all the time, and it causes problems. You need purpose. You need to have somebody... Love you truly, know you, and love you for you. And if you try to put that on anyone else, you will crush them. Because no human being is designed to carry the weight of another person's soul. Only God can do that. And that's one of the biggest issues. Only God can fill that void in your life. So the elephant in the room, what we don't talk about in the family room, is that before we can get marriage right, we need to deal with ourselves. And we need to make sure that we're healthy and that we're the type of person that can give and invest in relationship. And the best way for that to happen for us is by us turning to the one who invented marriage, who created us and who knows us better than we know ourselves and still loves us and not just with words with action loves us self-sacrificially and when we choose to receive it he will never leave us never forsake us no matter what that's what we need that's what every soul needs let's pray Father God, we thank you that you, you not only created us, you know everything about us. You know stuff about us that we've forgotten. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know every wart, every problem, every issue, every sin, every wrong motivation. You know it all. And God, thank you that you still love 
us and you offer us a way. You invite us to come and to receive your forgiveness and follow you with our lives. We don't deserve it. God, thank you. And Father, we pray that that knowing there are people here, many people here who don't know you in that personal relationship way, they don't realize that there's nothing they can do to earn or work or it's not things that we do to earn your favor. It's a gift. God, thanks for loving us and that kind of a committed relationship. And Lord, Father, we, we know that you have promised to always be with us. And we know because you are God, you will never, ever fail us. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name.